Welcome to PhD with Women on It, Hack the Future. My name is Beata Young, and today's PhD Positivity Hack Delivered will be by our guest, another Beata, Beata Green. Topic, how to grow a bespoke software house. Episode 72 starts here. Let me remind you, this is a grassroots community that focuses on women on IT, an inclusive form of women in technology, startups, and female leaders who are supported by men as well. And I bring heart to that hustle because empathy is my mojo, and empathy is critical when you're growing a bespoke software house. Let's mention some of the findings or some of the achievements of last week. Um, great news, everyone. Edna Trainer will have a media training course to help us feel more confident and be in control of our presentation. Edna was a guest uh, last year uh, for our PhD, and she left a huge footprint. footprint whatever you say, it's definitely something that's worth revisiting. Check out previous episode of Positivity with Edna. Excited to see Tutor Web Active in a refugee camp as Smiley Charity is working with Window Trust and International to put some educational tablets into a library in Kakuma. Bravo Gunnar Stefansson, that's another guest of Positivity Hack Delivered. Gunnar was talking about education and blockchain. Check out Liesl Hayes' very informative Lifeheart article on how to practice self-advocacy in the workplace. Go to guide. Let's go back to the, today's episode. We are going to learn how to grow a bespoke software house. Growth is critical part of any business, and it's important for a software company to grow their revenue as well. The process of building a client base, making contacts, and cultivating relationships takes time. Keeping your business running smoothly and making sure everything is on track is crucial. Additionally, staying up to date with the latest technology and trends is critical to remaining competitive. How do you know when to expand? Are there certain steps you should take before making the leap? Positivity Hack Delivered guest, Beata Green, currently leads the growth and expansion of Head Channel Consulting, a bespoke software and consulting development firm. She started her career in IT with the Financial Times newspaper and work for other companies in the capacity of the IT strategic advisor, including West LB Bank and the home office. Green has been helping clients to implement complex software development solutions for over 20 years, spanning many corporations and SMEs alike. She's passionate about the benefits that technology can deliver to businesses from improved processes, efficiency, cost reduction, better manage management information, and competitive innovation. Beata, Lovely to see you. Where in the world are you? So yes, thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's it's such a privilege to be here. So I'm I'm based in a place called Rublet, which is very near London. It's it's probably around 30 minutes from London on the train. 
and it's this uh, most charming Hertfordshire village full of green fields, um, but still very close to London. So it's just a quick jump and uh, we can be in central London very quickly. But, you know, delighted to be here to share the knowledge with, with all of you. Well, Beata, we are both coming from Poland, uh, so it's even bigger pressure for me to have double Beata on PhD today. Um, what's, when we talk about the bespoke uh, software house, what does it mean exactly? What would you? What would be your definition? Okay, so so this is really a very good question. So, what do we mean by bespoke? Um, it's very much developed to measure, developed to very specific requirements. And it's a little bit like with the clothing. You can go to the shop and you can get the dress from Zara, which is perfectly fine, but you can also have it very tailored made. And I think what really bespoke gives companies is that ability to innovate. So create something that is different to what everyone else is having and you know why why there are so many off-the-shelf products products software products which can be purchased to do your marketing or your finances sometimes these companies discover that they they need to be above and beyond that and this is where bespoke software development companies come in to build something that is specific then specific to the needs and you know, for, for example right now we are building the systems which will be used in Saudi Arabia to manage all of the requirements on very major construction projects which um, none of the other products could fulfill. Um, Excellent. So why did you decide to go into Bespoke? Why not uh, just building any software or just uh, staying in consulting business only? <laughs> That's um, Yes, I, I keep questioning myself this as well. But uh, a lot of it is pure luck and destiny. So um, when I, um, I have to go back to the beginning to answer that question. So when I came to the UK, I married my husband, Andy, and that was a long time ago, very long time ago. You really don't want to know. Um, and at that time, uh, there was slightly different attitude to uh, put it that way, foreigners coming here and, and working here. So it was really, really difficult for me to find work. And believe me, I applied everywhere and I was very willing to take any job as long as it was an office job. Um, I had a good degree. I, uh, I was fairly bright. Uh, I started studying here, but still um, for a couple of years, I've been struggling to get any sensible response. And then I applied to Financial Times for the role of the... Um, it's a, it was a sort of trainee managerial role in the IT department, and they've accepted me. And because mainly because they were they were such a different company, they were above the times, and they chosen me as one of the few out of five hundred candidates, and they trained me for two years. So in a way, I fell into the IT by chance, and I tell you what, I loved it from the start. It was such a great ride um, with people with learning with ability to being able to shape your career it's, it's just such a specific industry and so 
So going back from this, uh, I, after a few years of doing different types of jobs, I have naively thought that maybe running your own business is going to be much easier than working, <laughs> working for someone else. And I set up together with my husband, Andy, a bespoke software development company. So he, he had a small company then, but then we thought together we can expand it and utilize our connections in Poland as the other said, I'm also Polish. Um, it was never an easy ride, uh, but we've chosen to go into bespoke software to deliver the systems to utilize my knowledge and his knowledge from the industry of creating relationships, uh, doing marketing and sales, and also knowledge how to build the product itself. Um, the, the thing with technology, it always adds value and what you're creating in what you're creating really changes people's lives. And sometimes it's, you know, changes the education, uh, changes the healthcare. So um, it's always been a very rewarding career path, not an easy one, but very re rewarding. So uh, um... Every business, uh, a big business starts small. You started because your husband was already established and, and had his company. Um, when did you start, I mean, building this bespoke software house? Um, so how many years ago? Many years ago. So that's been almost now 15 years ago. So quite a long time. And for the mm -hmm. first few years, we were lying very low. So we only had few developers. And um, at some point we, we have decided to join into another business as well. But um, later what became apparent is that we needed to refocus on technology, purely on technology only. And this is when we started scaling. So at, at some point our team grew to around 60 people. Um, and then COVID came. And we had to, sadly, we had to reduce um, the team quite drastically. And, and following COVID, we've decided to slightly change our business model. So we have decided that we no longer need such a big team permanently, but we're going to utilize a combination of very much the sort of full-time employees and contractors to deliver the same workable, scalable software as we did before. But we had to change our business model to adapt it and uh, to really enable it to be more agile to what, as, a, as a company we were before, because that created some risks to us before. And we, we needed to use COVID as the opportunity to really rethink how we deliver our, our software. Speaking about COVID, um, our community uh, has been meeting offline. Um, and when COVID started, we decided to start this live stream, which is Positivity Hack Delivered. So, Beata, thank you very much for being here. And thank you very much, Marianne, for joining us. Hello, Beata and Beata. So excited to learn many things from Beatas. Thank you, Marianne. Lovely to see you too. Beata, I wanted to ask you if you were um, starting, where would you start? I mean, how did you plan your business from the scratch? Um, so it was, it was um, 
I can't say we had a plan, which possibly wasn't a good thing not to have. Uh, we had my husband already, who started development, software development business a bit before, had a couple of clients and we thought we're going to expand on it. So we, we gradually uh, decided to approach potential clients. Um, we uh, did it at that time through emailing, through cold calling as well. And we gradually build up this client's base. And from this, um, from this initial build, um, it's almost like a self-perpetuating perpetuating machine. When you get these first new clients, you get people to join the team, you onboard them, you learn the process of, um, well, you improve the process of software development, and you always in search for the new clients. So the pressure is always on if you want to scale the business. And this is really, really important. You have to learn how to utilize your sales and marketing machine to your best advantage. And in the past, we used to do a lot of this work was done manually. So we would be sending few emails here and there. We would be making few phone calls. But right now, 14 or 15 years later, everything that is done around sales and marketing should be automated. So I no longer believe in cold calling. It just doesn't work, not, not at least in our industry. But what I strongly believe in is in utilizing things like HubSpot, like CRM systems, like utilizing things for mailings automation. There are many products out there which could automatically um, send for you a lot of emails and follow-ups. Uh, there are products which integrate with LinkedIn, so you can, you can automatically approach, approach a lot of people on LinkedIn as well. And that's pretty much one, once you set that process up, it doesn't require that much work. And then obviously a lot of it, like my, uh, my boss, Rich, <laughs> used to say, it's a lot of it is about podcasting and, and doing the sort of content distributions and being out there and talking about your experiences. So, um, yes, yeah, so I think that the skill in sales marketing, right, sales and marketing right now, is about understanding what technologies out on the market that can help you fully to automate that process from the beginning to an end. And guess what? It's not easy. Okay, it's not easy, mm -hmm. but it's such a great thing to to be able to do. So, in terms of uh, sales and marketing, did you employ somebody, or you did everything yourself? Uh, Yes, so we did have a team. And in fact, it's the lady that used to work for us for the last three years. She's brought a lot of knowledge to us how to automate the process. Um, and then we had, uh, so we had one person full time and we had a couple of people part time as well. Um, one person was responsible for the SEO and AdWords side. So, so the SEO is another thing. And I, I don't know how much you know about this one, but it's very much about the organic search for your website. And normally the inquiries that, in my view, you get from someone finding you out on the web, looking for your services, finding your website and thinking, okay, there might be something in it. These inquiries are probably of the best quality, have, have always been the best quality. Um, in addition to all of these other things that you might be doing. 
but going back to your questions, we had one person full time who's created that process, created our, our website messaging, created our content. We had one person responsible for the SEO and AdWords. And then we had a couple of students really who were, were doing LinkedIn targeting. So I would say for a small company like us, that was quite a lot of effort in, in placing in marketing, marketing automation and sales automation processes. But Ada, it's interesting you mentioned SEO because we had Kari De Phillips, who was who is the founder of Sisters in SEO, and he's, she's also founder of Content Factory, and she focuses on SEO strategies. Her um, podcast, her um, live stream uh, with us is available online. Please check it out. Right. So there was lots of effort when it comes to marketing and sales. What about capital? Do you need capital to start a bespoke software company or can you start it in your garage? You can definitely start it um, without much capital. So that's why probably there is so much competition in it. Um, however, at some point, so what you have to do, you can start it without the capital, but what it won't enable you to do to scale quite quickly, because your clients will should pay you. I'm saying will they, they well, they won't, they should pay you within a month. But often you find that they don't. And um, you really need to have a certain backup of cash to be able to pay your people in order to survive to the next month. So yes, you can start without the capital, but sometimes you will need that backup in terms of maybe having an overdraft in the bank, you know, maybe, maybe finding a little money from your family or utilizing your own resources. And then what you have to do once you run the business, uh, which you have to really be very aware of from month to month, is to monitor your cash flow very tightly. Because if you go down on cash flow and there is, um, apologies for this, there is a chance that you won't pay your people, uh, then it's going to cause a lot of problems. So you need to be very tight on this. It's, it's, you know, you have to have like a monthly cycle. This is where the money comes from. This is when it's going to be in my bank account. And will I have enough at the month end? Right. Uh, we talked about capital. I think um, judging from uh, what Poland looks like, uh, I mean, I was praised quite often by how um, I was uh, able to bootstrap my ideas. And uh, as a startup founder, serial entrepreneur, uh, quite often you just have to make sure you've got some backup, but also you uh, can find cheaper solutions. Let's go into people hiring. How did you know you need to hire somebody? And when did it happen? How many months into the process? So uh, we knew, and again, there are different hiring approaches. And uh, what we used to do, we maybe hired people a little bit too soon. And uh, so on recommendation of the experience that we had, it's probably the best approach is wait till you have signed contract. And when you have signed contract, negotiate the starting date, which will allow you to get that hire. So hiring is one of my um, uh, hot <laughs> subjects. And specifically now in technology, it's incredibly difficult to find good people. And COVID changed so much as well. 
it's the the balance of power is so much without as you probably know so much with employees right now the prices are going up and up for for good talent and i think people want so much more than money now so your cards to hiring are obviously you have to pay well you have to pay market rates but as the employer you need to offer so much more and working from home is granted you will not find anyone anymore who wants to come to the office in this industry or or very very unlikely but you also have to look at standard things like um insurances um um, some other benefits gym memberships anything else that you can give but also what it always comes down to is company culture and values it's about having the company that people can identify with Um, it's not easy sometimes uh, but it's not impossible and i think for me the key thing to it is really about three things you just have to be yourself and you have to be honest you have to have the respect for others you have to create the teams with empathy and uh, you just you just look after each other as as just normal human being and i think that's okay uh i just wanted to mention a couple of comments arrived and i see that uh, in love and in pain is enjoying it as well hi nice to see two data here interesting topic as usual from women on it agatha is talking fascinating stuff beata and beata do you manage your bespoke software teams remotely or are they mostly in offices i guess you uh partially Uh, answered to that question. Um, My question as a follow-up would be, how big is your team in the UK? How big is it in Poland? And what's the dynamic there? I mean, um, Poles versus Brits or whichever nation uh, you manage to build your company upon? Again, it's such a good question. So I will go back first to uh, part one of the question. So everyone works remotely. We use obviously all of the standard um, tools to enable that work. In software development, we use specific tools to log time, to monitor project progress, to communicate. But COVID also uh, included another dimension that um, teams which were specifically from one country before we used to have teams which were clients teams was uk based and 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 our polish team was polish based often some of the clients like our clients mitsubishi corporation giving the name wanted always our team to come to london even if they were coming to our meeting it was a requirement believe it or not um and COVID changed everything so it's not only enabled that a better understanding between the clients and our team that things are online and you don't travel at the drop of the hat, but also it en- enables that cultural understanding that the teams are maybe not from one or two countries. They might now uh, be placed in so many different countries. So uh, currently we, we've, we have a team, one team that got members from Ukraine, Greece, uh, UK, Poland, and there are so many different uh, personalities in this one team that have to take into account possibly these slightly different cultural approaches. Um, 
I <laughs> I don't I you know like sort of um, there is a slightly different approach to explaining issues and problems specifically when the situation gets uh, tight or tough and you have to provide others with constructive criticism so so there needs to be a lot of this understanding to this other person and and trying to map it all out across these different cultures sometimes i think can be you know can be a challenge oh absolutely uh we know how challenging it is to uh, deal with Polish directness and uh, <laughs> the way uh, we speak, uh, which is uh, perceived quite harsh. I mean, my mother-in-law believed I'm, I'm shouting all the time at my daughter and my daughter is shouting back at me. Anyway, um, building a team is critical. And as you mentioned, honesty, respect and empathy are critical components of building resilient team, a resilient team. Um, you mentioned that you had to fire some of the team members. Was it because you lost some clients or you lost some work or was it because you just didn't uh, have, um, you know, scalability with you? Yes. So there was, there was a set, COVID was a set time for us, maybe because we were just a bit unlucky, maybe because we have the reliance on one large client, uh, but that client that we had the reliance on, sadly was the events industry the sort of hotels and catering so we were building this massive you know two million pound system for them um and when COVID started they literally went bust from one day to the next <laughs> and um you know they owed us a lot of money so uh, obviously we never got that money back uh, but what it also means that suddenly we had team of 16 people on that project uh, that we didn't have any work for. And we knew if we delay our decision, even for a day more or a week more, uh, it would be very difficult for our company to survive. So we had to pretty much take that decision on the spot and fire people. Obviously we paid them. We paid everything that was uh, we had to pay. Um, which was quite substantial because in Poland, we didn't get any subsidies for this. Uh, so we had to almost like use everything we could to enable that transition into the smaller team. Um, and that was very difficult because that put us later under a lot of strain. Uh, but you know, that's life and you just deal with it. So what would be your lesson from that? Let's call it a failure. Uh, I mean, you were not the only ones who were not prepared for a pandemic. Um, what would you say you would do differently next time uh, preparing for anything like that might happen? So from, from a business perspective, probably don't, don't have one large client that you rely on. <laughs> not, not a good idea, not one or two. Make sure that every client that you have is less than... 30 to 40% of your revenue. Um, I, I don't know whether I would do anything differently. I mean, if we were really ruthless, we probably would have found a way. But again, uh, if we, we were really stuck by our values and we wanted to make sure that by people, we do everything we can to ensure that uh, we don't inconvenience anyone in a way that we shouldn't. So 
we just wanted always to fulfill our obligations because if we didn't do that then you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't feel good about this with the rest of my life so so it's important and and this is where these values come on board because you can talk values you know you can say oh my values are this and this and they really don't mean anything but when they come in a wash when it's really you know basically shit hits the fun this is really where mm. you learn what your values are and and how you fulfill them so i'm yeah. proud of us that we've done what we've done Absolutely, you should be, Beata, because you've been acquired quite recently by a major company and you're growing your team. Can you tell us about that? So, uh, yes, so this is a good news. So we uh, merged into a larger group called Cohesus Group here in London, and they are the uh, agency that acquired seven smaller agencies. And I think what they're helping us to do is really to look um, into how we can scale the teams better, how we can utilize. They gave us, they give us the framework to develop our business so much better. And uh, looking through the HR processes, through cash co cash flow control, through sales and marketing processes. And um, I think, um, you know, being a small business again, you get to the point where you just think, gosh, it's really a hard work. I would do with some help. And that group came on board and are exactly enabling us to do this. So that's been really uh, a good move for everyone. Beata, we talked about uh, the, the mistake you had relying on one big client. What are some other mistakes that you would want to warn founders of Bespoke Software House? Okay, so specifically, maybe it's not so much um, about uh, bespoke software house. Maybe it's more in relation to running your own business. I mean, there's so many mistakes we've made on the way. I don't even know where to start, <laughs> believe me. Um, but one of them is uh, look after profits. Okay, so look after profits because uh, in the end, profits will enable you to reinvest in everything else. So. Just giving you the examples, if there are tough decisions to be made and you need to reduce your costs, uh, reduce them. Don't wait, don't think things will improve. Just act very quickly because if you don't have the money, you are unable to look after the people that are left in your team. And it's like a perpetuating cycle where you know you will always focus on the wrong things because the profits are just not there. So this would be my lesson, probably number one. Uh, I don't think we've done that um, enough and uh, it, it needed to be done. Number two, get rid of people who do not reform and get rid of them quickly. Uh, don't, don't really talk to them first, make sure that they understand where their skill sets are not aligning with what is needed, but then, you know, just remove them as quickly as possible. Um, so, yeah, I would say those two things are probably quite important. So does it mean that Beata Green um, regrets not firing some people faster? Probably, yes. <laughs> probably by <laughs> now, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking about uh, teams, uh, you mentioned that, um, and, and we as female founders and uh, working in, in the area of tech, uh, we focus on bringing the best talent, but also 
diversifying our talent. What did you do to make sure that you just don't have only white blokes talking to white blokes about other white blokes? Um, that is that is tricky because uh, obviously we have our teams in Poland, uh, but we are expanding now abroad as well. So I think what we uh, try to do always is to mix our teams and um, you know mix in, in terms of females uh, male ratios as much as possible. And I have to be honest, it's not that easy to find a female programmer, which you know breaks my heart, but that's what it is. And um, and I think during our career, we only managed to have one or two, but we did manage to have a lot of project managers and we managed to have a lot of uh, testers and business analysts. And uh, that diversity of having this different um, mix of the team, what it gave us really is a much better uh, team structure and much better team balance, team, what's the word, you know, team spark and spirit. And I think that really worked very well. Um, so we were, we, we were always open to bringing diversity on board. It was just, um, you know, we, we were not always able to do it, um, having the office in Poland, which is quite monogamous um, environment. You don't build a business, you build people, then people build the business, as Zig Ziglar says. Uh, how uh, can you hire great talent without paying over the odds? Yes, so um, it, it comes back again to uh, the values the company has, but also uh, I think also the key thing for technology teams is that self-development and learning. So what people want to do is they want to work on really interesting projects and they, they don't want to um, maintain old systems which you know, are not in the old tech um, and maintain the documentation. What they want to do with bespoke software development is to innovate. So grab an idea, create something, have the ability to choose the technology, learn from this, work in the team which are experts in their own right, so they learn from each other. And if you can create that environment and if you can sell it during the interview process, because this is very important, the interview process is now about selling the job in tech. It's not the other way around. It's not not for the candidates. Well, the candidate obviously has to be good and has to have the right type of personality. But the focus of the interview is very much about you encouraging the candidate to join the company. And as a small business, we very much compete with large businesses. And that, that is that can be difficult sometimes because large businesses offer people so much money. Um, just as the example here in the UK, you wouldn't guess how much um, Google is paying the junior developers, junior being one to two years experience. I mean, their salary is 100 over 100k per year, and that's for a junior position. So how you, as a small business, without the benefits of Google, like free food, swimming pool on the roof, God knows what, how can you even compete with that to get that best talent? Um, it's not easy, but it's not impossible. And it's all about selling these other perks and I think selling that environment where they feel part of your team and part of the company is, is crucial. And that flexibility, which 
you know, allows them to work from anywhere, travel from the world, maybe do a few jobs at the same time as well. So one thing which these big corporations don't often restrict developers is to work for someone else. And I think we as a small business, you know, we, I don't care. As long as the job is done, who cares that in the evenings they, they do some other work? It's, it's really about giving them enough flexibility to encourage them to join you and, and put these values on the top of it as well. So um, we have Olga uh, asking us question, and I'm going to go back to values because I'm curious, what is your company's values? But before we go into that, thanks, Beata and Beata for another great show, Olga says. How do you go about recruiting process, Beata? Is it always one person at a time or do you seek teams? Do you always recruit only online? So we, we mainly recruit one person at a time because we create teams. So the uh, idea of our business model is we get uh, individuals and we uh, ourselves have very established strong software development process. That, that's what we've built up over 15 years. And this is almost like our strong IP. Um, and yes, we do recruit online. So we, we have few places which we put adverts in, but mainly we uh, we hit people on LinkedIn and, and try to convince them to come to work for us. Um, so that would be our style of recruitment. Uh, we try now to do more employee branding as well. Um, but I have to say we, we're pretty much at the starting point with that. Excellent. That's good news for us, Beata, because our woman on IT team is going digital. So Wanted Digital is providing social media, digital footprint, wherever in the world you are. We've got a team of strong female leaders who want you to succeed. So maybe we should go and um, try that. So Beata, that was a short break for um, some uh, social media positioning here. Let's go into um, how you build your company, how to build software company. And I wanted to ask you um, if I can only go uh, to my notes. How did you did you seek investors into your company or was it just the process of somebody approached you because they saw a huge potential in Beata? Uh, so they, um, when you, and this is a good thing, when you run a company specifically in tech, you get a lot of inquiries from investors. And I would say um, probably maybe a few a month even. Um, so they obviously, it's quite a time consuming process. So they will want to know a lot of the things and specifically they will look at things like What's your revenue? What's your growth rate? What's your profit margin at the end of the year? Uh, what's your team like? You know, what, what, what is the value you're delivering? Who are your clients? What's your recurring revenue as well? So that there are a lot of aspects. And I think what happened with our investors is that they just came um, at the right time. So, and I think we clicked in terms of the personalities because you don't always click and they seemed like having uh, similar values to our values and they spoke very plain language. They didn't beat around the bush. You know, they said what they mean. Uh, sometimes, you know, okay, sometimes 
maybe it was not so nice, but at least they said that and we were able to discuss it. So we liked them and we thought, you know, we could work with these guys and uh, we could, we can bring the company to the next level. Fantastic. We've got greetings from uh, I Esmeralda. Hi, ladies. Another interesting episode. Thank you. Thank you, I Esmeralda. Agatha is asking, um, uh, well, making a comment. Gosh, your digital agency is so, so, so. Beata and all the very best with that. We're excited to hear how it progresses. Thank you, Agatha. I'm looking forward to having and onboarding you as a first client, Agatha. Right, let's go, Beata, back to um, our discussion about how to grow a best book software house. How do you make decision when it comes to incorporating the right digital technology tools into uh, your team's workflow? Um, so we uh, we don't innovate here because we uh, in software development there are a few products which already a lot of companies are comfortable with, and I think you can you can build something that is more bespoke, which you, know, you can add onto it. But a lot of products are already there. Uh, where we need to innovate and think outside the box is for our clients because sometimes um, the right choice of technology is not so obvious. So sometimes it would be unethical to suggest to the client that we build them something bespoke if they could use something which is already available there on the market. So this is where we need to do a bit more thinking and think what would work best for them, which elements we can deliver ourselves, which we need to integrate. Um, and then we can only do this after we know what it is that they want to achieve in terms of the business objectives. So, uh, you know, for example, if you're building a system that um, measures um, pressure on prothesis for the amputees, uh, you're creating something from scratch. You need to understand what it is that you want to create, and then you have to decide how best to deliver it. But in terms of our own team, the choices for software development products are uh, industry standards, and for sales and marketing, we investigated the products which were available on the market and we've chosen the ones which can deliver the sales automation that is very cost effective as well. So we haven't spent a lot of money on them, but we've chosen the products that we can, um, you know, we can pick for like 50, 100 pounds a month each and then uh, ensure that we get what we needed to get for the, for the sort of a relatively low price. Right. Let's go to the purpose and your values what are your company values and why did you focus on these values so our our company values and we thought about this we even had a, had a workshop about this uh, they really there's honesty and honesty means just being honest but it's honesty about being honest if you don't like something as well so um, you know, it's being honest if someone doesn't do their job, it's being honest if um, you just um, need to resolve certain issue. And uh, integrity is you need to really be integral to your own feelings. So, so um, the example I've given earlier um, about, you know, about COVID and about having to make our team redundant and about the, the sort of following up with the financial compensation, um, 
yeah, we, we did what we felt was integral to us as people. And it's um, the other one was respect, by the way, as well. And respect, uh, respect means that you respect the other person. And that might mean that you are not late to meetings because you don't make another person waiting. You respect them because, you know, you're doing hard work as well. So you, you're working hard because you're part of the team. If you didn't do that hard work, if you, if you didn't do your best, then you're not respecting the work of the others. So, so we, 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 we thought about these values quite hard. And I think we always try to instill them in the team. But we also picked up people that we thought relate with those values as well because if the company has values you know you can get away with so many other things which are not working in the company because people would stay and believe in you and in and believe me it's not an easy thing to do either because you have to leave your values so if you as i said if you put your values out there but you don't follow them you know they don't really mean anything people won't follow them people won't follow you Absolutely. And these values are universal, no matter what culture you're coming from. Uh, Beata, I wanted to ask you about a software company uh, that is bespoke. Do, can you build a client base that, is, uh, that are coming over and over to you? Or is it like one of a uh, product that you d deliver? Uh, yeah, and, th and that's really a very critical point because the lucky thing is that with the bespoke software development company, the likelihood is that your clients will stay with you. You know, it's like with the bank, you go and you open the account in the bank and you have to go through all of this paperwork and oh, I don't know, so many questions, you take the mortgage out. And the last thing you want to do is to change your bank account at some point. So even if there are any issues on the way, you will probably, as number one, try to resolve them. And it's a silly example, but it's a bit similar to um, software development company, because once you deliver things for the client, you sort of innovate with them throughout the years. So uh, often you start with a small system to build up another module, to build up a web portal to then do the integration to yet another system to you know build up management reporting module to enable the system for someone else so it can be years and years of ongoing work and the key thing is then to sit down with the clients and plan that work on a regular basis so you almost we often found specifically with startups who create software products that they also need the advice, they need the advice uh, on um, how to build the software because they don't have that knowledge. And so, so, we, so we're becoming like the CTO in addition to building the product as well. And often we also, we also advise them how to market that product as well, which probably is you know, not really our core skill. So you're going beyond just to make sure that this client is uh, going to be looked after. Uh, Olga is asking a very relevant question. So Beata Green, do you tend to maintain the software once built or hand it over to the clients so they can operate and upgrade it over time? The, the models can vary. Uh, sometimes the clients prefer to do it themselves, but I have to be honest, we've never, we've, we've always been maintaining the software for them. 
Uh, so I, I don't think we had even one case where the client wanted to then go away and maintain it themselves. It's, it's just, it just really depends on the client, but uh, we seem to be, um, yeah, we seem to just be doing all of the work for them. So then we have this regular SLAs, what's called SLAs with the clients, um, which we agree regular payments per month. And within that, we do a certain number of hours. And we also look after the whole infrastructure. We do security checks and testing on a regular basis and then any upgrades that they might require us to do. Uh, what, does it mean that you have to be 24-7 available to clients' needs? So thankfully, not yet. But uh, if this is needed, our new um, agency owners have also the offshoot of the company in India, which provide 24-7 support. So creating 24-7 infrastructure, support infrastructure would be really a very massive undertaking and, and probably not worth not worth um, doing for us right now. Uh, but yeah, there are different options as well. Fabulous. Um, before we go into our usual questions, I wanted to ask you, what do you believe is your competitive advantage over so many other software companies? Uh, yes. So um, again, it's it's a very good question. Uh, I think our advantage is that we can source good talent, and and it's very important because you know it's it's a it's a people's people's business. Um, so you need to have good people, and if you have good people, you can deliver. But probably most importantly, it's about the process, uh, software development process. So we, we're working for one of the clients now of a large team where there are some challenges. And it's not because people are not trying, people are trying really hard, but it's because the process is failing and there's so many organizational issues around it. So we, we try and currently help them to resolve that. But, you know, it's people and process. The, the two things I would say that need to go together. Talking about people, talking about hiring them, what would you be your advice to all the females who wanted to be on the career path in your company and reach the top of your company? Oh gosh, that's why again, I love that subject. I've got so many advices for women in business and in IT specifically, because I know myself years and years ago so i would say just you know be yourself be be have have the goals in mind know where you want to go in your life and and that really helps you then to define that path and um learn always learn you know learn not just um, technologies uh, learn about yourself and learn what improves you as a person and what improves you in the business and i know it's very difficult to find the time but try to reflect throughout your journey on that as well and um and don't suffer from imposter syndrome another one just look always at your skills because you know we all have so many strong skills we're not good at everything but we're definitely good at some things and try to utilize them and improve this other skills. But if I was looking, if we're looking for people, it's not so much how much they know when they come to us, not, not how experts they are, but the aptitude for learning and their personality. Obviously they have to know a little bit, but 
the attitude, you know, the hunger, the willingness to progress, uh, the you know, the, the honesty in all of this approach is, is probably what I would be looking for. None of us are able to achieve success without some help along the way. What is um, your person that you're very grateful towards and who helped you build this bespoke software company? Uh, so I would say uh, the, the well, I have one person and I have one advice. So the person that really helped me is my partner, Andy. Uh, I can't say that it's been always easy. So we run the business together. We're also married. Uh, but he's been always very supportive and, um, you know, never really, um, never really, um, we never really came to hold because of the issues that we had over the business, which is, is sometimes, as you can gather, it's difficult. But what I would advise every single one of you, which I didn't have, is to have your own personal mentor. And by mentor means it doesn't have to be anyone you pay. Uh, you know, it, it's not that. It's just really could be a good friend that you sit down once a month and you look you know, at your board of goals where you want to get into professionally and you say, okay, what do I need to do as the next step? Am I in the right job? As long as you're learning, you're probably okay. You know, if you're not learning, get out, get out quickly. So someone who can really uh, objectively from the other side, look with you through your goals and really just be there for you to talk through them yourself. Beautiful advice. I second that, especially that I also have a husband who's running business with me. What is the number one book you can sit and think, oh, I wish I could read it before I started my business? Um, yeah, I'm not really sure that I would, that's a good question again. It's not probably not the one that um, I uh, would recommend reading before, but oh God, it's such a great book. It's a shoot up by Phil Knight. It's a Nike um, ex-owner. And he talks about running Nike throughout years. And, you know, that book is so inspirational because he writes it in such an honest language. And it's all about creating that vision, that business that through 16 years has been struggling and, and has been on the brink of bankruptcy every, every few months. And he still managed to create the team, you know, deliver. And in the end, you know, obviously Nike now is worth billions and billions. But the story of this ups and downs uh, of the business, of you know, himself as a person is really, really fascinating. And it just makes you think that the business and life are really just the journey that you you own, um, that you just have to enjoy. There's no other way. Just find a way to enjoy the, the whole process from beginning to an end. So it's universal advice, no matter whether you're building a software house or whether you're running a company for running shoes. Beata, what is your favorite life lesson quote and how did it change you? Um, I like the quote given by not so much a business guy, but a person that I uh, am fascinated by. It's a guy called Anthony Bourdain. He is a chef was a chef um, and mm. a gifted chef and storyteller um, and he, he's made his uh, success at the age of 43 and sadly committed suicide at the age of 61. So he said luck is not a business model and he's very right, luck is not a business model. <laughs> 
luck is what we work for. Okay, a bit of luck is great, but it's just luck is just such a hard work. You know, you have to push at it. And I think it, it summarizes it, the quote summarizes it really well. Right, he's also advised, he's been showing different businesses all over the world, different restaurants, different food trucks. Uh, now, he was able to travel, um, but uh, imagine uh, if we had another pandemic and then we could go anywhere in the world, who would you, Beata Green, invite as a person to have private breakfast, face-to-face -face breakfast, and where in the world would you choose to have that private meeting? And um, yes, I uh, probably end up with so many people, but um, I really am fascinated by Dalai, Dalai Lama and uh, his approach to life as well, his calmness and kindness and maturity. Um, so I probably would like to invite him and I would like to do it at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. in the morning on a very empty beach somewhere, it doesn't matter where, but just somewhere peaceful and quiet and um, listen to his wisdom. That would be fantastic, having a chance to do that. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Beata, for sharing your stories with us. As you said, Anthony Bourdain was a great storyteller. You definitely are in similar league. Um, we wanted to encourage you to uh, listen to the latest podcast. Beata was talking about how podcasts inspire her to do some business and some uh, marketing and sales techniques. Um, we can listen to the Tyronda Glinton Femstem Bahamas episode. It's already on our live streams. And also you can tune in into any past um, live stream that we had in the past. Now, next week, we don't have PhD. Positivity Hack Delivered is on vacation. Uh, we are going to gather again on in September. Beata, thank you so much for today's discussion. I wanted to bring this quotation on this episode. Everyone wants to live on top of the mountain, but all happiness and growth occurs while you're climbing it, Andy Rooney said. As always, our positivity quote comes from positive thinking only and goes, look for something positive in each day. Even if some days you have to look a little harder. That was also the mantra that led Beata into building her company and now being acquired. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Today is your day to hug the future, hug the positivity you want. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me as well. It's